بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين وبه نستعين وصلاة وسلام على أشرف الأنبياء والمرسلين سيدنا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين وبعد السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته everybody here and everybody watching at home uh, and welcome to another session of the Burda of Imam al-Busiri rahmatullahi alayhi uh, where we go through his qasida, his poem uh, in praise of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa verse by verse elucidating its meanings inshallah and getting some of the barakah uh, and some form of connection with the, the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa through it as well inshallah ta'ala there's one thing reading the seerah but there's another thing reading a poem about the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa it's a different type of connect right? reading it is a different type of connect uh, when you read the seerah, it's almost like it's like a historic events in sequential order. This is what happened uh, in the first year uh, of his prophethood, the second year of prophethood, all the way up to the hijrah. This is what happened in the first year after the hijrah, second year after the hijrah, third year after the hijrah, until you know his uh, his passing, sallallahu alaihi wasallam. But when it comes to the the poem, uh, it it doesn't worry about any chronological order. It doesn't worry about any sort of uh, sort of events uh, that are. Uh, significant to a certain time frame, uh, so also to, to a certain place. Rather, it is mentioning the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam's character, his being, his essence, uh, his time and place, all together, all mixed up into one. So you get a different sort of vibe uh, and different feeling with regards to the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam. And obviously, mashallah, we try and do our best with regards to the translations, and we've tried to pick, uh, you know, a good translation that we can all sort of like, you know, vibe off. Uh, but there's, uh, you know, it's a different, uh, it's a different feeling when you're reading it in Arabic, uh, inshallah. But we'll try our best, inshallah, to elucidate uh, the meanings as much as possible, being in the We are in chapter four, where we're going to start his uh, his birth, sallallahu alaihi wasallam. Imam Sayyidi has spoken about many things up until now, and now he's going to uh, delve into his blessed birth, alayhi salatu wasallam. Obviously, there are many aspects of the Prophet's life that are very, very important. One of them, obviously, being the revelation. Right. Uh, others are like battles, um, the Hijrah, for example. All of these are significant periods in the life of the Prophet sallallahu Another significant period in the life of the Prophet is obviously his birth, his, his coming into the dunya. Right. Massive. If it wasn't him coming into the dunya, there wouldn't be any of these things that came after. Right. So this is something that is to be uh, to be celebrated. Sallallahu alaihi wasallam. His birth is called the Maulid. And obviously that word has many negative connotations to it as well. When we say the word molded, what comes into a person's head is green turbans, lights around a masjid, and people dancing and singing. <laughs> right? That's what, uh, what's called, what comes to mind with regards to the molded, right? But that's not, we're not talking about that here, guys. Right? We're not talking before like someone comes and starts talking about Imam Hamid's Mubtadi. Uh, He's calling to the molded, right? We're not talking about that. We're talking about the actual event of his birth. And it is something to be celebrated. Absolutely, 100%. Every single aspect of the life of the Prophet ﷺ is there for us to celebrate, is there for us to rejoice in, right? The, the battles that he won, the battles that he lost, all of that is for us to celebrate. Every single aspect of the Prophet's life, his character, what he said, how he did it, everything we revere. Even before prophethood, والسلام, right? we still revere all of his life. And just like that, we revere his, 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 his birth too. Uh, many people talk about the mawlid and permissibility, impermissibility. Not going to go into that, but just know that the Prophet ﷺ, he recognized uh, his birth day. Not as in like the date of his, uh, his birth, but the day of the week of his birth. He would fast every Mondays and, uh, and Thursdays, right? We know that, right? When he was asked about Mondays, why he fasts every Monday? And his response was a number of things, but one of the things that he responded with was that this was the day that I was born in. Yawm al-Thanayn, right? 
Yawm al-Jumu'ah is the day in which Adam السلام, was born in. He recognizes Yawm al-Jumu'ah as the day of birth of Adam السلام. So these things have significances, right? The fact that people come into this world and they go from this world, they have that significance. The way the Prophet ﷺ recognized that significance was through ibadah, through fasting, right? So he was fasting and he was asked why he's fasting and one of his responses was because he was born on that day, right? So his uh, commemoration of his birth is through ibadah. Just like our commemoration of Rasulullah is following in his footsteps, following his, his sunnah, trying to emulate every single aspect of his life in our lives as well, right? That is how we emulate and that is how we, we uh, rejoice in the birth of the Prophet So similarly, what uh, Imam Busaidi is doing here, he's mentioning the birth of the Prophet and he's rejoicing in that occasion and he's doing it in words. Yeah? That's basically what's happening here, inshallah. There was a story. There was a story. That we said that we'll, uh, we'd uh, we'd mention, right? Do you remember that? Yes. Uh, what was it? Man, you, what it was about, I'm trying to think about what it was another hadith that you had to give. Uh, you give one before, uh-huh. said, there's another one. Yeah, yeah. Back yeah, yeah. What was it? What was it? So, I think I remember, man. It was about. Um, what what verse was it? Uh, two, two numbers. Right? That when you when you when you see him alone and you meet him, you think that he is amidst an army or an entourage of people because of his majesty. Right? That's the Prophet that says Haybah, that's how he carried himself. You think that he's surrounded by people, right? And obviously we know that. Uh oh, yeah, there's a story about the guy who was going to come and kill him. Yeah. So one day the Prophet, an example of this was one day the Prophet was uh, they were on their way to a, a battle. I can't remember which battle it was. Um, it was towards the north of the Arabian Peninsula. So it's towards Najd. I, I, can't, I can't, don't quote me in the battle, but I, I can't remember which one it was, but they were going towards the Najd. And uh, the, all of the Sahaba, including the Prophet they took a rest. There was a rest period on their journey towards uh, these people. They were going to fight some Mushrikun that were they're there in that land that were um, uh, Showing animosity towards the Muslims, right? And harming the Muslims that were living in that area. The Prophet goes out with his uh, companions uh, and they take a rest. And they take a rest in the middle of the day. So the hottest part of the day. So everybody, they um, reach a valley. Uh, and this valley has like loads of trees in it and stuff. So each group of companions, they take a tree that they seek shade under and then they go to sleep for the afternoon, right? Uh, so the Prophet he chose a tree and it just so happened that he was the only one that chose that tree. And all of the Sahabas chose other trees around him. He got his sword and he put his sword on one of the branches of that tree and fell asleep. One of the Bedouins from the Mushrikun, who was fighting alongside the Mushrikun, came to the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi I tried to find his name, but I couldn't find his name. It's just Al-Arabi. <laughs> it's just a Bedouin. So it comes to the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi He takes the sword of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam and he puts it at the neck of Rasulullah who's lying asleep. The Prophet Sallallahu opens his eyes to behold a man who is standing there with his sword at his neck. And the Bedouin asks him, Ya Muhammad, atakhafuni? Muhammad, are you afraid of me? And the Prophet sent him without any hesitation, without any shaking or any fear, says no. So he asks him, minni? Who is going to protect you from me? Who is going to prevent me from harming you? He looks at him and he says, Allah. 
And when he says Allah, the sword drops from his hand. SubhanAllah, the sword drops from his hand. As if he has no power. He has all the power in the world. But as if he was, all that power was taken from him. The sword drops, the Prophet picks up the sword and he puts it to the Arabi. And he says, وَمَنْ يَمْنَعُكَ مِنِّي He goes, who's going to protect you from me now? So he beseeches him, أَكُنْ خَيْرَ أَخِذٍ Like, please be like, you know, be lenient towards me. I'm sorry. Right? I, I, I didn't mean that. So he says to him, أَتَشْهَدُ أَنْ لَا إِلَهَ إِلَّا وَأَنَّ مُحَمَدَ رَسُولُ اللَّهِ Do you bear witness that there's no God worthy of worship except Allah and that the, the, the Muhammad is the messenger of Allah? He says, no. But I promise you, that I will never fight against you, nor will I ever ally against those, uh, with those who fight, fight against you. That's it. Between me and you, there is peace. So he let him go. And when he went back to his people, he said, he said to them, I have come to you, I have come to you from the best of people. Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. And that's the story right there. Right? You think he's alone? <laughs> you think he's alone? He's not alone. Okay. So here we join Allah, 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 Allah. Our technician has joined us, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> the technician. <laughs> Alhamdulillah. Everything is going right so far. <laughs> now that he's come, hopefully there's no glitches. Allah <laughs> time. Okay, so chapter four, his blessed birth, sallallahu alayhi wasallam. So the Prophet ﷺ begins, أَبَانَ مَوْلِدُهُ عَنْ طِيبِ عُنْصُرِهِ uh, Sorry, Imam Busayri begins, uh, رحمه الله تعالى, with أَبَانَ مَوْلِدُهُ عَنْ طِيبِ عُنْصُرِهِ يَا طِيبَ مُبْتَدَئٍ مِّنْهُ وَمُخْتَتَمِ His noble birth did reveal the purity of his roots, how pure the outset of them as well has his uh, finality. أَبَانَ مَوْلِدُهُ عَنْ طِيبِ عُنْصُرِهِ يَا طِيبَ مُبْتَدَئٍ مِّنْهُ وَمُخْتَتَبِ أَبَانَ, أبانا meaning to reveal, right? Uh, it comes from the word bayan. You know, we say the Imam is going to give a bayan. He's going to reveal some meanings of the Quran and the Sunnah. Yeah? So, uh, abana, mawliduhu, his birth. Mawlid uh, comes from the word maf'il or maf'al uh, is the place or time in which the wilada, the birth, took place. Yeah? So, abana, uh, his place or time of birth uh, revealed. What did it reveal? Antibi unsurihi, his purity of his roots. Yani where he's come from, his fathers and his forefathers. We know that the Prophet ﷺ, he comes from the, the line of prophets all the way back to Adam salam. We know the line of Rasulullah up to Kinana, maybe, right? And after that, it's a bit weak, but we know it goes up to Ibrahim at least, right? Uh, but beyond that, it's a little bit hazy with regards to uh, the lineage of the Prophet ﷺ, but we know that Ibrahim salam, despite not knowing the details, like uh, 100%, we know that he comes from the, the line of the Anbiya uh, as well. And all of them are uh, They all come from one uh, progeny and one line uh, dating back to Adam uh, So his birth uh, revealed the, the purity of, um, uh, of, his, of his origins. And we know we've taken the hadith before where the Prophet uh, he said that when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala created uh, creation, he chose uh, Bani Adam from all of his creation. And then he chose from Bani Adam uh, the uh, the Arabs, and then he chose from the Arabs, he chose Bani Hashim, and from Bani Hashim, he chose Quraysh, and from Quraysh, he chose uh, the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam. Right? And min min I have I am from the chosen ones, from the chosen ones, from the chosen ones. The Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam he said that Abawiyya lam yaltaqiya ala safah or bissifah that none of my parents, none of my bloodline ever met 
upon zina. And we know, so that means that every single one of his forefathers met upon nikah. And we know that nikah is a religious institution. It's not amongst the mushrikun. The kuffar don't have nikah. They will have babies, no problem. <laughs> right? No problem. No, they don't need nikah. They don't need to get married in order to have, have children, right? This is a, uh, a revelation from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, this union, this aqd, this agreement, this, um, uh, this bond between husband and wife, right? This is revealed from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, which means that all of his, uh, his lineage that came before had this element of revelation in them. They had this element of taqwa, this element of, uh, what's it called? Uh, light and enlightenment from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, iman in their hearts, right? On some level. Whether they had uh, met a prophet or messenger, or they had ex- believed in revelation before, because there's some ikhtilaf with regards to the parents of the Prophet sallallahu uh, They hadn't met a messenger, were they believers, were they disbelievers? They're from the Ahl al-Fatra. If you're gonna say anything about the, prophet, the parents of the Prophet sallallahu you're gonna say that they're from the Ahl al-Fatra. Who are the Ahl al-Fatra? Ahl al-Fatra are the people who were alive at a time where there was no messenger at that time. A messenger had come before, and he had been and gone, and there had been some time that had passed when no messenger had come. These people that were around in that time that they hadn't heard of the revelation and they weren't taught the revelation from anybody else, they are Ahl al-Fatra. They will be uh, sent Yawm al-Qiyamah. Uh, some say that they are the Ashab al-A'raf. They are going to be on the hilltop. Uh, and yeah, that's going to be between the people of Jahannam and the people of Jannah. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is going to make them decide who, who from amongst the people they want to be. People of Jahannam or people of Jannah And the way Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala does it is that He sends to them a messenger And they come to them with information right, With a revelation There and then And they believe or disbelieve They say this is the truth So they go into Jannah And that's what would have happened to them in the dunya Or they say no, this is falsehood Or I don't believe this And they go into Jahannam As they would have done in the dunya right? And there's riwayat uh, uh, And sort of like a hadith uh, even if their uh, sort of uh, their authenticity is brought into question, but there there are many sort of um, uh, things in our uh, traditions that talk about this. Anyway, um, what was I saying? Ah, so the Prophet's son's uh, what's it called? Lineage, all purity, right? Uh, uh, what's it called? Uh, or min so Allah So the Prophet is when he's describing his 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 descendancy from Adam salam, he said that he went from the the sulb uh, that is tahir, which is from the from the man uh, to the uh, button, which is the woman uh, tahir. So each one of his progeny or each one of his sorry uh, predecessors, all of them met upon nikah, and that is a sign of purity. And that purity traveled, the nur of the Prophet ﷺ traveled from Prophet to from Messenger to Prophet to Messenger to Prophet to Messenger all the way, all the way down to here, the, the time of his his uh, his birth, والسلام, So when he says, how pure the outset of them, meaning the Anbiya that came before. This is where the Prophet ﷺ hails from. He comes from Adam, he comes from Nuh, he comes from um uh, uh uh, Musa, he comes from Isa, he comes from all of the Anbiya that came before. Well, even though they, came, they are, are a different lineage, but uh, Ibrahim and those Anbiya that came before him. Yeah? That's the outset. That's where he comes from. Ya Tiba Mubtada'in. Mubtada meaning Bidaya, Bada'a, right? From the word Bada'a means to begin. So a blessed beginning. Adam salam and all the Anbiya that were, that were back then. Minhu wa Mukhtatami. And the Mukhtatami meaning the Khatam. The Khatam meaning the end, right? The finish. The finish is his own birth, sallallahu alaihi wasallam. 
Yeah? And there's stories about his birth as well, inshallah, that will come up uh, a little bit later, bidna ta'ala. But here, in the outset of this particular chapter, Imam Busayri is laying out the foundation that this man came from something that was so pure, and he has uh, come with his purity uh, as well. Yeah. Uh, then he goes on to say in number sixty, يَوْمٌ تَفَرَّسَ فِيهِ الْفُرْسُ أَنَّهُمُ قَدْ أُنْذِرُوا بِحُلُولِ الْبُؤْسِ وَالنِّقَمِ يَوْمٌ تَفَرَّسَ فِيهِ الْفُرْسُ أَنَّهُمُ قَدْ أُنْذِرُوا بِحُلُولِ الْبُؤْسِ وَالنِّقَمِ Now he's going to mention uh, quite a few events that took place on the at the time of the birth of the Prophet Many have brought into question the veracity of these events that whether they actually took place or they didn't take place. We have the ahadith of the Prophet they're mentioned in many many sources like Al-Tabarani um, and uh, Al-Hakim in his Mustadrak and many many other places, Al-Mustad of Imam Ahmad, uh, many many places that these things have been mentioned. Some of the uh, narrations aren't as authentic as others, um, but none, none, uh, nonetheless they are, they are mentioned uh, in our sources um, and they can be found there, inshaAllah ta'ala. And because they don't relate to issues of aqidah uh, or issues of um, uh, ibadah, uh, they are sort of not so strict with regards to the uh, authenticity. It doesn't have to be like 100% authentic because you know you hear these things where you know there's this 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 hadith is not authentic. So why are you why are you saying it, right? So there's gradients of hadith um, uh, in that regard. When it comes to issues of aqidah, hadith a hadith have to be authentic. Not just authentic, but in some cases they have to be mutawatir, right? They have to be absolutely. There's no doubt about it. This came from the Prophet right? Because it is uh, pertaining to a belief that we have to then adopt with regards to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and anything with regards to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala we have to be absolutely certain about and anything that's doubtful with regards to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala whether it's a statement of the Prophet sallallahu or anything else we put to the side we put a hold on it that's not to say that we reject it we just pause until we find something that is authentic that can testify to that uh, statement right that's how we treat uh, authentic ahadith, as well as acts of ibadah. So when we are worshipping Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, we're supposed to worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala with what the Prophet wasallam came with. If there is doubt that this actually came from the Prophet wasallam in a weak narration and so on and so forth, then we don't use that as, as the only source for that particular ibadah. There has to be something else that supports it in order for us to use it, right? That's how we treat ahadith with regards to these things. But with regards to like stories and uh, events and things that took place in the past and so on and so forth, it doesn't have to be that strict. It doesn't have to be authentic at the topmost authenticity. It can be weak, it can be hasan, it can be um, uh, any of the others, inshallah. Ta'ala, yeah? As long as it's not mawdu'a, which is an absolute lie and it doesn't, the Prophet never actually said that, right? Then we discard it altogether. But if it is uh, da'if or even if it is hasan, no problem, we can still use those. Um, uh, in terms of just riwayah, uh, in terms of informing that these events uh, may have took place. Yeah? And that's coming from the Prophet Yeah? Is that clear? Yeah? All right. Just a little bit of a, that's a bayan, right? <laughs> that's the bayan. So, يَوْمٌ تَفَرَّسَ فِيهِ الْفُرْسُ أَنَّهُمُ قَدْ أُنْذِرُوا بِحُلُولِ الْبُؤْسِ وَالنِّقَمِ A day, يعني the day of the, the birth of the Prophet A day, the Persians perceived that they indeed had been warned of the occurrence of suffering and adversity. Right? So Furs, we know Furs are the Persians, right? And the Persians, they were a great people. They have a, an illustrious history, even before the Prophet came, right? They were powerful people. They had been warned, right? And they had been warned how? Their soothsayers, right? 
and the Ahlul Kitab from amongst them had told them that there will be the advent of a messenger and when that messenger comes it will be bad news for the Persians right this was a warning for them and so they didn't believe it of course and even if they did believe it they were like yeah we'll sort him out anyway because we've got like a massive army and we've got all these riches in the world and we're so powerful no one's going to touch us right just like <laughs> American Afghanistan right <laughs> 2001 yeah we're going to take over we're going to wipe them out right 20 years later <laughs> It's a never-ending war and we need to get out of there. <laughs> so same thing, right? Kisra, right? The Persians, they were like, no, no, we got this man. Messenger, wipe us out. No chance, man. We've got this guy. And it was said that they was going to come from the Arabs. And the Arabs back then, they were a low people. And they were subservient to the Persians as well. So it was like, no, this is, this is impossible. How can a servant from the servant class, from the working class, come up and then take over our dominion? This is impossible. This is a lie. It can't happen. And even if he does come out, we will crush him like an ant. All right? That was there. That was their thing. And there's, there's stories, inshallah, that are going to come in the later in this chapter that we'll mention about this, inshallah. So, so the day he was born, they realized the advent is nigh. The time has come. Those things that we were warned about are here. قَدْ أُنذِرُوا بِحُلُورِ الْبُؤْسِ وَالنِّقَمِ قَدْ أُنذِرُوا أُنذِرُوا from إِنذَار, right? So to be warned. بِحُلُورِ الْبُؤْسِ حُلُورِ is when something has come at your doorstep, right? Al-Bu's uh, Al-Bu's is a, uh, something that uh, causes you great grief, right? When Niqami, Niqam comes from the word Niqma. Niqma is the absolute opposite of Ni'ma. If you think of a Ni'ma as a blessing from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and Niqma is the opposite of that. It's almost like a curse. <laughs> Why has this happened to me? That sort of feeling, right? So that's the, that's the feeling that uh, the birth of the Prophet ﷺ gave to uh, Al-Furs. And the arch of, or the arc of Khusru, uh, Khusru is Kisra, Kisra is the name of any Persian king, right? He has names like uh, Arshnawand or whatever, <laughs> they have some weird names or like Aparvez uh, uh, and uh, all these other ones, right? <laughs> Not our Aparvez, <laughs> another one, yeah. <laughs> I don't know if you can put them on now. Technicians are here, guys. <laughs> if things cut out, <laughs> you know what's going on here. <laughs> uh, the verse, we are on um, 61. Right? Um, so, uh, so Kisra is the name of any Persian king. Just like Qaisar is the name of any uh, Roman, like the, uh, the Kaiser or the... Um, uh, is the name of any uh, sort of Roman... A Roman, Roman king, uh, they would have the Najashi, which would be the, the name of any sort of like a Habashian, uh, Habashian king, um, and so on and so forth. So, Wabata Iwan or Kisra, the Ark of Kisra, uh, the Ark was like a sort of like a balcony that um, uh, in the palace of Kisra, where Kisra would come out and be, he would be able to supervise his uh, his nation from. Right, so he comes out to the balcony, right, and he sees like everybody, and he sees all of his like you know dominion. And he's able to like see what's going on and stuff and what fires are lit and what fires aren't lit and what's happening in his kingdom. Right? So it was this arch that collapsed the day the Prophet was born. Right? Uh, this is narrated in, uh, in a few places. Um, uh, uh, it's mentioned in Sirat ibn Hisham. Uh, it's mentioned in uh, At-Tabarani as well. Uh, but anyway, uh, it was the arch of, of Kisr. That was a warning. Right? That the Prophet has come. Your dominion is now going to break. And a sign of that breaking was the balcony in which you look out on your kingdom from has fallen. 
and just like that the rest of your dominion will fall كشمل أصحاب كسرى غير ملتئم so بات وبات إيوان كسرى وهو منصدع so the ark of of Kisra fell apart during the night and just like the status of Kisra's peers like his advisors and his sort of his ministers and the guys who were like you know at the top telling him what to do and the people that he used to go to and so on and so forth these people كشملي أصحابي كسرى غير ملتئم غير ملتئم شمل meaning something that has been dispersed something that is separate right so Allahu shamlana Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala bring together that which has been separated Algerian Moroccan Mauritian Pakistani Nigerian Algerian there's North Africans here man right no mashallah man fim khair man fim khair kareer so just like just like things are um, uh, so these all of these elements are separated, right? But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has brought us all together, right? So Kashamli uh, Ashabi Kisra. So the Shamil of the uh, the advisors and Kisra's friends, they were all they were all sort of uh, separate and like some broken up, right? They weren't united. They were disunited. غير ملتئمي meaning without unity. التئام meaning things that are stuck together, right? ملائم, right? Um, things that, are, that, that that go together uh, nicely So Just as the balcony had fallen apart The same way the hearts of the friends of Kisra And the peers of Kisra And the advisors of Kisra Had all broken apart also So they were disunited Number 62 the fire was short of breath out of regret over it. The river lost all its current out of despondency. Here, Imam Busayri is recollecting the event that took place in the temple of uh, the Zoroastrians at the time. Now, the Persians at that time, before the Prophet came and before Islam came to the Persians, they were fire worshippers. They were worshippers of the fire, right? They were Zoroastrians. And they had a temple that they used to worship this fire, and this fire used to be um, lit 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And we know Salman ibn uh, al-Farsi, radiyallahu ta'ala anhu, he came from a people that were like that, right? His first religion that he uh, worshipped through, not worshipped Allah through, but worshipped through, was, was that, uh, the fire worship. And this fire was left, like, you know, they, they had people on guard 24-7, keeping it alight, keeping it alight, keeping it alight, making sure that it doesn't go out uh, at all, right? But when the Prophet was born, that fire went out, right? وَالنَّارُ خَامِدَةُ الْأَنْفَاسِ And khamida uh, comes from the word khamada uh, which means um, the fire goes out but it doesn't go out like uh, you know it disappears it goes out and the embers of the fire are left like you know uh, alight right so you can see that redness of the ember of the wood or the coal that was uh, you know lighting that fire beforehand right that's all that's left of the fire so they're running around like crazy people trying to stoke the fire again but it's out min asafin the fire went out out of regret over the shamil, the disunity of uh, of the advisors of Kisra, right? Uh, and the river lost all its current out of despondency. There was a river. Uh, I can't remember which river it, it was, uh, but there's a river uh, there as well that also stopped uh, flowing 
uh, on the day the Prophet was born. And number 63. It saddened Sawa. Sawa uh, is, a, is a city uh, in, in Persia as well. Uh, they had a, um, uh, a sort of like a, uh, not a river, but a, uh, a kind of like a, um, uh, a watering hole, like a place where all of the animals used to come. It's like a lake, quite a large lake. Yeah. All right. um, and this lake uh, uh, dried up when the Prophet was born. And all of those who came with their animals in order to uh, allow them to drink from it, they came and they found that lake had, had dried up and there was no water uh, left therein. Number 64, he goes on. And Busiri was sick, man. He was a lyricist on another level. He says, as if the fire had gotten water's wetness from grief. As if the fire had been crying so much that it got wet and it went out, right? Grief out to the fact that the fire is no longer going to be worshipped anymore. And the time is going to come where shirk is going to be put to the side. And these things, these inanimate objects are no longer going to be worshipped. Rather, there is going to be a higher power that people are going to be going to recognize and they're going to strive in order to connect to that higher power and they're going to push out of their way all of these false gods and idols that have been put in their way of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Now, in our time, there is no fire. There is no wooden statue. There is no stone thing that people have set up. But there are things that we worship besides Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Huh? And that is our nafs. أَفَرَأَيْتَ مَنِ اتَّخَذَ إِلَهَهُ هَوَاهُ وَأَضَلَّهُ اللَّهُ عَلَىٰ عِلْمٍ وَخَتَمَ عَلَىٰ سَمْعِهِ وَبَصَرِهِ وَجَعَلَىٰ عَلَىٰ قَلْبِهِ رِشَاوَةً فَمَنْ يَهْدِيهِ مِنْ بَعْدِ اللَّهِ Who will guide him uh, after Allah? Right? SubhanAllah So people take their desires as gods besides Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala right? And we are living in that age right? Back then it wasn't, like, it wasn't really desires It was actual things that people used to worship right? Today though, it's desires Desire is the ilah, right? As soon as you go on the internet, as soon as you whip open that TV, desire is being chucked at you. Buy this, buy that, do this, do that. Meet with this person, meet with that person. Invest in this, buy that, sell this, right? <coughs> Just desires. Desire for what? Power and wealth. And whatever comes with it. From, uh, what's it called, all the enjoyments and pleasures of food and... Uh, the opposite sex and all sorts right all of this stuff we're being called to now this is the ilah that has been set up besides Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala why? because this is the biggest thing that distracts us from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala you want to get close to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala right <coughs> but you can't you can't get off YouTube <laughs> you just can't even though we're on we're on it <laughs> right now right live streaming on YouTube right the element of hypocrisy there right but that shows you the sign of the times that we can't connect to people except through these channels now Right? There's no connecting except through Facebook and Instagram and all that sort of stuff, right? But what comes with all of that stuff is a barrage of just desire. Women just uh, posing on Instagram in the most <laughs> immoral of ways, right? Sex is being promoted on another level, right? Yeah, follow your desires, fall into them. Don't worry about it, man. Don't worry about the akhirah. There's no such thing. And even if there is, make tawbah. Allah is forgiving all good. 
right? Ilah set up besides Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This is the way of life that you need to follow. Right? This is the sunnah that you need to adopt. You know what I'm saying? Other than the sunnah of the Messenger وسلم, other than Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You are supposed to seek the pleasure and the gratitude of people, right? The recognition of people. You post a picture on Instagram, right? You write a post on Facebook, you try and get as many likes as you possibly can from people, seeking gratitude of people. All of that for what? For fame, for recognition. All of that is lusts and desires, man. Ah, terrible time we're living. Anyway. Uh, as if the fire had gotten water's wetness from grief. Right? So the fire knew that it wasn't going to be worshipped. And we need to get to that point where we're no longer worshipping our desires. The desires need to know. The desires need to cry as the fire of Kisra cried. And water had burnt up as a fire burned seethingly. So it's almost as if whatever happened to the fire happened to the water. And whatever happened to the water was supposed to happen to the fire. Right? So wetness came to the fire and dryness came to the water. Just like fire is dry and water is wet, it was the opposite. Right? So it dried up from here and the fire went out from there. So it's almost as if the water went from here. <laughs> Splashed over there. Number 65. We know the jinn, right? The jinn were speaking aloud and lights were shining so bright. The truth is made manifest in signal and verbally. Um, the jinn, well, jinn tahtifu, tahtifu, hatafa. Hatafa meaning you hear a noise, but you don't see the person that's making that noise. That's why the phone in Arabic is called the hatif, right? It's called mahmul as well because you carry it around everywhere with you, right? Hamala yahmiru mahmul, so you carry it around, but it's called hatif as well. Hatif is when you hear a noise, but you don't see the person making that noise. You hear a voice, but you don't hear that. You don't see that person um, uh, who that voice belongs to. So well, jinn tahtifu. So voices are heard from the jinn, right? Satiatun uh, and lights are seen everywhere, right? Shooting stars in the sky, lights on the horizon. and the truth becomes manifest, has made manifest. So ma'nan meaning in terms of metaphorically, in meaning, it has come, right? Is in the haqq, tawheed, ibadah of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, no associating any partners with him. The sunnah of the Messenger sallallahu all of that is meaning. Wa min kalimi, and in word also, verbally it has come. Ashadu an la ilaha illallah, wa ashadu anna Muhammad rasulullah. The fatiha has come, alhamdulillah rabbil alameen, ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. These things have come, the ayah of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the ayat of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the kalam of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is going to be revealed now to mankind. Right? The, the kalam of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Well, jinnu tahtib, right? We know what happened to the jinn. Now, before the advent of the Prophet wasallam, you know what the jinn used to do? They would ascend to the heavens and they would yastariqoon as-sama. It's mentioned in the Quran. They used to try and listen out to what the angels were saying to each other. Right? About what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is going to reveal to his creation. Right? And so from that, they would take information and they would bring it down and they would spread it amongst their jinn friends, right? And the kahana, you know the soothsayers and the mystics from back in the day who knew like magic and all this other stuff. And there's a lot of like, you know, um, mysticism surrounding them, right? And obviously we live in a world of uh, media and, and film and stuff like that. And they dramatize a lot of things. But 
you know, these people built back in the day, they were, they were there and they were like the wise that the kings and queens used to go to in order for advice to tell me what the future is going to hold and what my destiny is and so on and so forth. What they used to be in touch with was these jinn who used to steal information from the Samawat. And they used to come down and they used to tell these people from the ins. It's mentioned in the Quran, right? That the uh, uh, people from uh, mankind used to uh, interact and liaise with people from the jinn and they would get information and they would spread from that misinformation and corruption and part of it, there was parts of it, elements of it that, was, that were truth but what was wanted from it was, was, was falsehood. When the Prophet ﷺ was born, all of that suddenly stopped. Right? When they wished to go and listen in, they couldn't hear what they used to be able to hear. And when they wanted to go up, they would be uh, hurled with fire and rocks. An impenetrable wall was put up between them and the Samawat. So they weren't able to go to places that, were, they, were, that they were able to go to before. Right? This is all mentioned in the Quran. Right? If you open Surah Al-Jinn, you see it, right? So they weren't able to do this anymore. And this was all as a result of the advent of the Messenger Suddenly things had changed and they recognized that things had changed. So, this is what he means. That suddenly they were talking and they were chattering amongst each other. What's going on? Why can we not hear? Why can we not see? Why can we not do the things that we used to do before? Something's changed. Something's going to happen. Is it the advent? Is it the last uh, of the messengers that we've heard about? We heard about it in the scriptures before. We know this was going to come. Is, it this, that, is this that time? This is what they were saying amongst each other, right? And then we know what happened after that when the Prophet received revelation years later. They would pass by inna sami'na Quran and ajaba, right? And they knew that this was the revelations from before, and this is the final revelation, and this is a follow-on from the previous revelations. So they became Muslim and they spread Islam amongst the jinn, right? What is this stuff we know? And this this is what Imam Al-Sayyid is talking about now. Well, anwar al-sati'ah, the anwar, the light that came uh, shining so bright on the horizons and stuff. This is taken from uh, a hadith uh, that are narrated in various places. Uh, but it said that when um, Amina, uh, ta'ala anha, when uh, the mother of the Prophet ﷺ gave birth to Rasulullah ﷺ, uh, what came forth from her was a light that shone. Right? And this hadith is uh, in uh, um, in Mustadrak by Al-Hakim. Uh, it's great as Sahih. It's Muslim Imam Ahmed as well. Uh, great as Sahih. Uh, there might be some ikhtilaf with regards to its authenticity, whether it's sahih or not, but it's certainly not mawdu', right? It's there, yeah, and it's, a, it's certainly a hadith. So it's there, man. And that's a, and it said that in other hadith that uh, that light, that same light that came forth from Amina when the Prophet was born, was seen by Kisra on the horizons, that that was the light that he saw, right? And that's when the haqq came and was clear and manifest for everybody to see. Amu wa sammu, in number 66 he goes on to say Amu wa sammu fi'ilanu al-basha'iri lam tusma' wa bariqatul indhari lam tushami But blind and deaf they were, so the happy news went unheard Right? They were blind and deaf They didn't recognize the signs that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sent And that's not strange How many a sign do we see in our own lives that pass us by that we don't give recognition to? How many a sign do the kuffar see for themselves but they don't recognize it? Right? You'll see the signs of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala everywhere you go. But the heedless will never see. They will continually, continually be blind. So Amu wa Sammu, same thing for the for, for Furs, uh, for the Persians. Amu wa Sammu lam tusma' lam tushami. But blind and deaf they were, so the happy news went unheard. 
and flashes of light as a warning they didn't see, right? But because they didn't hear it because Amu, uh, sorry, Sammu. And they didn't see because Amu. Yeah, Amu or Sammu. Min ba'dima akhbara, in uh, number 67. من بعد ما أخبر الأقوام كاهنهم بأن دينهم المعوج لم يقومي. Number sixty-seven. All after their fortune teller notified all the folk their old religion so crooked soon would no longer be. So Kisra, back in the day, and when when he talks about Kisra here, he he mentions it in a previous verse, right? وبات إيوان كسرة وهو منصدع كشمل أصحاب كسرة غير ملتئمي. I forgot to mention this, right? In verse number sixty-one, we mentioned that um, the balcony of كسرة had broken down, and then the advisors of كسرة had also uh, uh, dis- uh, become um, uh, disun- disunited, right? Here he mentions كسرة twice. Whenever someone mentions a, a, a name twice. Right? The name of someone twice Or the name of something twice The proper name It means that The first Is different from the second The second Is different from the first They are two different Kisra And we said that Kisra Is the name of any King Of the Persians So what he's saying is that The first Kisra Is The one who was Before the time of the Prophet And the advent of the Prophet And when the advent of the Prophet Came As in he was born That's when the balcony And the ark uh, what's it called? Uh, collapsed. That was one Kisra. That Kisra died. Then his successor came, and that was the Kisra who his peers and his advisors became disunited. Right? And this was the one that the Prophet ﷺ had sent uh, letters to, and he had ripped them up and torn them up. Right? So here he's talking about. This same Kisra had gone to this soothsayer, and every Kisra before him had done the same thing. This Kisra went to uh, the soothsayer and asked him about the destiny and the future and what to do and what not to do and so on and so forth. Those soothsayers and those mystics had warned Kisra that his dominion in his time is going to fall. You are going to be the last of the Persian kings. After you, the, uh, your dominion is going to fall. The dominion of your forefathers is going to fall. TK. Uh, obviously, he didn't believe this, right? And the Prophet ﷺ, he also foretold this as well. Here, there was a Sahabi called Abdullah ibn, uh, ibn Hudhafa al-Jumahi. You guys know about Abdullah ibn Hudhafa? This guy was an amazing person. Umar radiallahu ta'ala anhu said about this Sahabi that حَقٌ عَلَى كُلِّ مُسْلِمٍ أَنْ يُقَبِّلَ رَأْسَ Abdullah ibn Hudhafa وَأَنَا أَوَّلُ مَنْ أَبْدَأُ بِذَلِكَ It is the right or it is incumbent, it is absolutely obligatory upon every single Muslim to kiss the head of Abdullah ibn Hudhafa and I am the first to do that and he got Abdullah's head and he kissed it. Why did he do this? Abdullah ibn Hudhafa was an amazing man. Amazing, amazing man. In the time of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa he was ordered to, uh, not ordered, the Prophet was amongst his companions and he wanted to send out letters to all of the, the kings uh, around the Arabian, Arabian Peninsula. And one of those letters was going to be sent to Kisra. So he needed a volunteer. Who was going to volunteer to come and deliver this letter? Abdullah ibn Hudhafa steps forward. Analaha ya Rasulullah. I will do that, ya Rasulullah. So he gets the letter and he rides all the way to, to Persia. He gets to the kingdom, uh, enters into the city. 
uh, gets to the citadel and says to the guards, I have a letter from Rasulullah to Kisra. And so he goes in and they you know, deliberate, should we let him in, should we not let him in, what should we do with him, what should we do with him. So they uh, you know, agree to, to let him in. So he goes in and they have um, Arabs in the court of Kisra. They have Arabs in the court of Kisra and these Arabs are going to translate what the Prophet has written to Kisra. Right? So Abdullah ibn Wadhafi says, no way have I traveled all of these miles so that somebody else can read out the words of Rasulullah that he has given me to deliver. I am the one who's going to read it out. And then you guys can translate whatever you want to translate. So he grips the, the letter and he reads uh, the, whatever the contents are to, to Kisra. And then it is, you know, Aslim uh, Taslam, Yu'tikullahu Ajraka Marratain, Wayne Abaita, Fa'alaika, Ithma, Al Furs. That uh, believe in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, come to Islam, accept Islam, and if you do that, you will be uh, at peace. Right? There's no war between us, there's no fight between us, there's no hate between us. You'll be brothers one to another, and you will have your dominion. Right? It's not like the Rasul has come to take away your, your, your kingdom, rather, you keep it right? if you believe. And if you don't, then all of the sins of the people of the Furs is going to be on your shoulders. All of their, uh, you know, their, their shortcomings are going to be on your shoulders. What's going to happen is going to be as a result of you. So what, is, uh, what does he do? Kisarai hears this and he says that this, uh, this slave from uh, the Arabs is telling me what to do, right? And he starts his letter with Min Muhammad Rasulillah ila Kisra Azim al Furs. Right? He got so angry that the Prophet didn't begin the letter with Ila Kisra Min Muhammad. Right? To Kisra from Muhammad. He, st- he started with from Muhammad to Kisra. <laughs> this is like, what? He started this letter with him and not me? How dare this slave do this? So he got the letter and he ripped it up. He didn't even read, uh, translate the contents. We didn't even get to the contents of the letter. He just ripped it up there and then. And so he ordered that Abdullah ibn Hudhafa go and be imprisoned. So he got taken to a room and uh, put there, right? So Abdullah ibn Hudhafa, he's sit- sitting in the room and he's like, what's going to happen to me? One of two things. Either they, 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 I, I come out and they absolutely torture me and murder me, or I come out and they enslave me, right? One of the two. I don't, whatever happens, I'm not going to come out, you know, good on this. So he goes, allow waiting, let me escape. So he climbed out the window and he escaped. And he rode and rode and rode and rode and rode and rode and rode. And he rode so quickly that the uh, guards, the Persian guards that were guarding him at the time, didn't realize that he had escaped. And by the time they realized he had escaped, he had already exited Persia. And he was in, in the Arabian Peninsula. All right, that's how quick he got out of there. So he came to the Prophet and he told him what happened. I went to Kisra, this is what he did to your, to your letter. He ripped it up. Right? So the Prophet he prophesied, uh, right? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is going to uh, tear apart his, uh, his kingdom as a result. Right? And it was so. The Prophet passed away, and what happened to Furs? Became Muslim. <laughs> right? No, there was no, uh, everything had, uh, had, had fallen apart thereafter. All of his peers had split from him. They all abandoned him and he was there left on his own and he was overrun uh, and um, uh, Persia became Muslim.
Wa alaykum as-salam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. The reason why Umar radiallahu anhu said that Abdullah ibn Hudhafa should be kissed on the head was because of an instance that happened thereafter. After the Prophet had passed away, there was uh, many, many battles that took place with the kingdoms around them. One of the battles that took place was with the, uh, uh, was it with the Qibt or was it with the Romans in, the, in Egypt, right? Uh, the Byzantines. And uh, so they had a battle and uh, the Muslims kind of like suddenly lost, right? They weren't like uh, winning that battle, that particular battle. And uh, so the, uh, uh, the Christians, they'd taken... Uh, Muslims uh, hostage and captive and from these captives was Abdullah ibn Hudhafa now Abdullah ibn Hudhafa was one of the commanders of the army right so obviously important person he's the one that the uh, that uh, uh, the Qaisar is going to go to and he's going to you know interrogate and you know torture and so on and so forth so he went and uh, he began to torture uh, Abdullah ibn Hudhafa with uh, many different types of torturing right but, um, and he wanted him to enter into the deen of Nasraniyah. He wanted him to become a Christian and renounce Islam. And so Abdullah ibn Rafa, obviously he's got Iman, like on another level. He's like, nah, none of your tricks, uh, none of your like, you know, escapades are ever going to make me uh, renounce what I have seen from Rasulullah and believed from him. Uh, it's never going to happen. So he did all manner of things to Abdullah ibn Hudhafa and he realized that this guy is not going to, he's not going to budge. And one, of the, uh, and one of the things that he liked to humiliate his, his captives with was he wanted everybody to sort of um, uh, bow down to him, right? So he realized that Abdullah ibn Hudhafa is not going to bow down. Every time he sees him, he doesn't bow down, right? So what he, does were, what he did was he, in order to enter upon uh, um, the, the Qaisar, uh, the king, uh, he would put a door that was lower down than the, the other doors that other people would enter into. And so every Muslim that came through that door have to has to bow down lower, not because they're bowing to uh, the king, but because they have to get into the <laughs> get into the room, right? But inadvertently they're bowing to him. So Abdullah Rafa, when he saw this, <laughs> goes the other way, limbo. <laughs> I'm not bowing to you. He saw that Abdullah Rafa is not budging from his iman. So what he did was he bought the other Sahaba that were with him and the Tabi'een uh, from the Muslims, and he would torture them in front of Abdullah Rafa. And what he would do is he would torture them in heinous, heinous ways. One of the ways in which he would torture them was he would get a pot of uh, boiling oil and he would dip alive the Muslims inside this boiling oil and they would essentially die, but die a, a terrible death. And he would do this in front of Abdullah ibn Hudhafa. And every time he would dip a Muslim in, he would say, renounce Islam and enter into the deen of Nasraniyah. And every single time he, Abdullah ibn Hudhafa would see it, he would say no. But in his heart, he w- it, was, it was slowly breaking to see the Muslims suffer like that. After doing that, after doing that, after doing that, uh, the king realized that Abdullah ibn Hudhafa is not budging. And so he said, look, what is going to make you budge? What is going to make you leave the deen of Nasraniyah? He says, nothing's going to, uh, the deen of Islam. He says, nothing's going to make me leave it. But I cannot bear to see my companions being tortured like this. So the king decides to strike a deal with him. He says, look, I'll let you go. And I'll let your companions go with you. But you have to kiss me on my forehead. So Abdullah al-Dhafa looks at him. He looks at his companions. And he says to himself, kissing this najis guy on his forehead 
in return for the freedom of my companions? No problem. <laughs> so he gets the head of the king, kisses it, and he goes free. He goes back to Umar radiallahu anhu, uh, and Umar was the Khalifa at the time, uh, and he tells him the story. This is what happened, yada yada yada. And when he hears the story, he is so amazed, and he stands up and he says, "Hakun ala kulli muslimin." It is incumbent and obligatory upon every Muslim to kiss the forehead of Abdullah ibn Hudhafa, and I'm the first one to do that. So he kissed his head because of that. Subhanallah. Anyway, how did that story come up? Uh, so these uh, soothsayers are telling the king, uh, the, the kings of, uh, of, of Persia, that your dominion is not going to last because there's going to be a prophet that's going to come. And if you don't believe in him, they're going to, uh, your dominion is going to be ripped apart. And this was obviously the statement of the Prophet to Abdullah ibn Hudhafa, Mazzaqallahu Mulkahu. That was why we mentioned that story. Uh, Abdullah ibn Hudhafa radiallahu ta'ala uh, then he goes on to say in verse number 68 وَبَعْدَمَا عَايَنُوا فِي الْأُفْقِ مِنْ شُهُبٍ مُنْقَضَّةٍ وِفْقَمَا فِي الْأَرْضِ مِنْ صَنَمِ And after they eyed in the horizons the shooting stars all crashing like statues uh, in the earth of idolatry. So we said before that uh, the jinn they used to be able to hear uh, you know the uh, whisperings and they used to take from the uh, malaika and so on and so forth. But then after that فَلَمْ نَجِدَ What's the ayah? شِهَابَ uh, الرَّصَدَ Huh? What's the ayah? Shihab al Rasada? One before it? <laughs> <laughs> yes, putting you on the spot there, I'll put you on the spot. Wa alaykum as salam wa rahmatullah. Anyway, the point is shooting stars, right? Shooting stars. That's what Shihab al Rasada. Shihab is the uh, shooting star, right? That was what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala used to stand, not literally, like metaphorically, and perhaps literally as well, but the point is that was the, uh, the metaphor that was used in the Qur'an with regards to uh, the jinn not being able to uh, hear. So when the Prophet was born, obviously the people around would see the shooting stars in the, in the sky, right? So after they had eyed in the horizons, the shooting stars, all crashing like statues in the earth for idolatry. So, and it was said... Uh, there's some like a hadith, they're weak in their nature, but it's said that the number of shooting stars that fell on the day of the birth of the Prophet ﷺ were equivalent to the number of statues that were there in the Kaaba at the time. And they said it was 313 uh, statues uh, that were there uh, in, uh, at the time of the Prophet's advent. Then he goes on to say in verse number 69 Until from the source of revelation up in the sky one after the other each retreating demon did flee So obviously they returned back to the earth and they couldn't do anything with regards to their uh, um, eavesdropping of the malaika So they returned back to earth uh, and they were stuck here They they were, when fleeing, just like the heroes of Abraha, or like, the, uh, like a pelted with pebbles from, pebbles from his hands infantry. Abraha and the infantry that ran from the Prophet ﷺ when he threw uh, uh, the, 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 the dust, the stand, or the stones at them on the day of Badr. Two instances. The running of the jinn from the skies when the Prophet ﷺ was born and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala throwing at them light and fire and rocks as a result of them being now banished from all things that they used to know, right? Is similar to Abraha. Everyone knows Abraha, right? The king in Yemen that wanted to destroy the Kaaba and set up a Kaaba down south, right? When he was defeated by the Tayran Ababil, right? They ran back on their heels. They turned back on their heels. 
Similar to them was the people of Badr when uh, the Prophet ﷺ picked up a handful of dust, a handful of sand, and threw it. And you did not throw the day that you threw, but Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the one that threw. And it is said in uh, some of the ahadith in the seerah, uh, Sirat al Hijam and other places are mentioned, right? That when the Prophet picked up this handful of sand and he chucked it at the Quraysh that was standing in front of him, line after line after line, somehow, from some miracle of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, it went into every single eye of the kuffar on that day. And each of them, each of them like, put their head down and covered their eyes, as if a sandstorm had come to them. And all it was was a kaffa of sand. Right? A handful of sand. And that was from one of the mu'jizat of the Prophet. So here, uh, and obviously uh, the day of Badr, they all lost and they all ran back and they were humiliated, even though they outnumbered the Prophet's, the Prophet's army uh, three to one. Right? Or was it four to one? Yeah, it was four to one. Or was it five to one? It was five to one. Up the odds, up the odds. Right? That is the same way in which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Uh, pushed out and rejected all of the shayateen from the ins and the jinn that day the Prophet was born hurled after having extolled after, after having done tasbih while in the palms of his hands so the Prophet hurled the sand after saying subhanallah Allahu Akbar la ilaha illallah dhikr of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala right Allahu Akbar, boom, into the eye of every, every mushrik that day, right? The same way that Yunus salam was thrown from the, the, the belly of the whale after doing uh, tasbih. وَلَوْلَا أَنْ كَانَ مِنَ الْمُسَبِّحِينَ إِلَّا لَبِثَ فِي بَطْنِهِ إِلَى يَوْمِ يَبْعَثُونَ That if, he, if it wasn't for uh, uh, Yunus alayhi salam uh, being from the, was it Yunus alayhi salam? Yunus, right? Yeah. Uh, if, uh, if it wasn't for Yunus السلام, being from the Musabbihin, those who extol and exalt Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he would have stayed in the belly of that whale until the day of Qiyamah. Right? So just as uh, Yunus السلام, did tasbih and he was thrown from the whale, the Prophet السلام, did tasbih and he threw the sand, just like that, the tasbih of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala came with the advent of the Prophet السلام, and it rejected every shaitan from the jinn and the ins. That was the birth of the Prophet. And some of the events that took place around the birth of the Prophet. Right? Amazing, 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 amazing. Inshallah, uh, that concludes chapter 4. We'll go into inshallah chapter 5 ta'ala, next week. Uh, may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala accept all that we have done today, inshallah. Is it all clear, inshallah? Is, uh, are there any questions with regards to what's, uh, what's taking place? Crystal, crystal, mashallah. Alhamdulillah Rabbil Alameen May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala accept everything that we have done Rabbana taqabbal minna innaka anta samiul alim wa tuba alina innaka anta tawabur rahim Rabbana atina fi dunya hasana wa fil akhirati hasana wa qina adhab al-nar Rabbana thalamna anfusana wa illam taghfir lana wa tarhamna lanakunanna min al-khasirin Allahumma alimna ma yanfa'una wa anfa'na bima alamtana wa zinna ilma ya Rabbil Alameen Allahumma ati nufusana taqwaha wa zakiha anta khayru man zakaha anta waliyuha wa mawlaha wa salli allahumma ala sayyidna muhammadin wa ala alihi wa sahbihi وسلم سبحانك اللهم وبحمدك نشهد ان لا اله الا انت نستغفرك ونتوب اليك بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم والعصر ان الانسان لفي خسر الا الذين امنوا وعملوا الصالحات وتواصوا بالحق وتواصوا بالصبر امين يا رب العالمين جزاكم الله خيرا والسلام عليكم ورحمه الله وبركاته